there was something that was fun. I, you know, when I did the first thing that was a little bit out of the box, I, um, I, people looked at me and said, Ooh, wow, that's a little odd. Then I did the second thing that was a little out of the box and they said, wow, boy, he's really off his rocker. And then I did the third thing and they looked at me and they said, oh, that's him. So it, it, it freed me. It freed me from, from having to think like everybody else. It freed me to, uh, to start uh, living my life doing what I believed in and what I believed was the right thing for the future. Welcome to Array Podcast, the platform to discover hacks and skills you need at different stages of building your business. I'm your host, Shruti Gandhi, founder and managing partner of Array Ventures. Array Ventures invests in founders focused on solving problems, leveraging big data, artificial intelligence, and machine learning. Visit us on array.vc. Tim Draper is the founder of venture capital firms Draper Fisher Jurvetson, also known as DFJ, and Draper Associates. He's also built the Draper University, built to empower entrepreneurs take risk and build confidence. He's the author of the book, How to Be the Startup Hero, a guide and textbook for entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs. He's an early investor and proponent in Bitcoin, an investor in companies such as Skype, Tesla, and Hotmail. His original suggestion to use viral marketing as a method for spreading a software application from customer to customer was instrumental in the success of these companies. Today, he talks about why Bitcoin will be at $250,000 by 2022, how VC can stay relevant in the world of crypto, why California needs to be broken into three states, and other fun gems. Tune in to start your learning for some good advice and secrets of a success. Tim, I'm super excited to have you. Love to understand what stage of VC cycle are we in? We are in a boom right now. Um, things are going very well in venture capital, and uh, and there are uh, there are actually several different cycles going on where um, the the crypto world kind of came uh, and hit a hit a peak in at the uh, end of the year, but then it's come down, it's coming back up. And my guess is that uh, this is going to be a long, uh, long growth cycle for, for uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. In the venture capital business, we've noticed that since the cryptocurrencies have created another vehicle for entrepreneurs to get their money, um, that our industry is going through some real changes, at least uh, in the short term, uh, people can do ICOs and uh, they've been able to raise money just on uh, by creating tokens. And that has, uh, there were more ICOs last year than, or, or uh, Q3 of last year than there were venture funding. So, um, so this may be a whole new way people raise money uh, for certain types of investments. And uh, so that could change venture capital too. I was ready for a big change in venture capital. I was, um, it's 
been about four or five years and I knew something was coming, um, I didn't know what it was. And so we backed lots of companies that um, that would make it easier to for a company to be tradable, even if it stayed private. We invested in uh, AngelList in hopes that that ended up being a platform. We invested in eShares. Um, but when Bitcoin came along, all of a sudden, the, the whole world uh, of venture capital and uh, finance completely opened up. And that has, uh, that has probably will keep us busy for the next decade or two. So do you think the, the traditional VC early stage industry is dead in a few years? Or do we not need VCs at this stage? No, it just has to uh, reinvent itself. Um, you know, we've uh, we've been pioneers in in uh, Bitcoin and uh, and the cryptocurrencies, and it's paying off. Um, and uh, and venture capitalists are always very flexible, trying to figure out what the next big thing is. And no, I don't think they're going to be replaced. Um, I think uh, ICOs are going to uh, become a, a way for people to uh, to raise money. But when you raise money for an ICO, uh, what you're doing is you're issuing a token, which is kind of a uh, societal transformation. It's like a Kickstarter for societal transformation and uh and that's very different from having people invest in your company which is uh for the good of the shareholders yeah and i think these are two very very different things and you invest in a company you buy a coin uh those are uh those are also very different a use of capital I think uh, a coin is something you buy, and if it goes up in value, terrific. If it goes down in value, too bad. But it's um, it's uh, it's a currency. You're just uh, it's like you you buy yen, and if it goes up against the dollar, great. If it goes down against the dollar, that's too bad. If you're not buying shares in companies but investing in ICOs, I was curious to see what Tim thought if VC's job was becoming a job of a trader down the road. No, I, I think they're two different people. Um, I think a VC is investing in a company for the good of the shareholders, and a and that's a long-term investment. And um, a currency trader is a different mentality. And uh, and some people are are buying currencies in uh, hopes that they become more valuable. Uh, and it really uh, the value of a currency is really tied to this. It's you know mathematically the square of the number of nodes in the network uh, equals the value of the currency. Because and so the the larger the network around a currency, the more valuable it becomes. So then I asked him if there's too much money in the venture capital ecosystem and if new VCs should focus on investing in crypto companies. 
what's good is that it's a it's a good free market and um and if there's too much money going into one thing then the returns will go down there and they'll they will shift their money to another thing so um i actually think that those things all regulate themselves uh i am a big believer in bitcoin and a and a big believer in crypto and the blockchain and all the things that can come from it um smart contracts and artificial intelligence on the data. Uh, there's some extraordinary things that are coming here. Uh, and there's a reason for my um, passion for it is that um, the my bank is constantly being hacked. All, in fact, all banks are constantly being hacked. And uh, people are actually breaking through those little weak spots in the banks. And I think crypto came at just the right time because um, Bitcoin, no one's been able to hack the Bitcoin blockchain and, uh, and the protocol. And, the, um, and it is getting harder and harder because as more and more miners go and mine Bitcoin, uh, it gets even harder to hack. And so uh, we finally have a very secure currency that can't be hacked as opposed to our banks that are under attack from all directions. They're under attack from crypto, they're under attack from um, from hackers. Uh, they, they've been sort of living high on the hog for a long time. And, uh, and as their businesses start going down, all of a sudden uh, they, they become they begin to accelerate down, and uh, and so Bitcoin is a good uh, it's a gap filler there. Uh, and as people recognize that Bitcoin is cross-border, decentralized, secure, frictionless, they're going to move toward Bitcoin and away from fiat currencies, um, where fiat currencies are are uh, Tied to banks, who are generally taking <laughs> taking a lot of the value out of our uh, system. They're tied to governments that are s- subject to political whims. Um, and uh, now you've got a currency that is uh, immune to all of that. So this is really uh, a major change in the world, and I I do believe that some of the more um, uh, advanced thinking venture capitalists are putting a lot of their money into this. What do you think is the future of custody for crypto? I know institutional investors see this as a pain point, and you touched on it a little bit. Well, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I think most people, uh, I've seen a couple of really interesting solutions there. Um, and uh, and I think uh there's sort of two ways to go about it. One is, um, and I recommend this to everyone out there in your podcast land, um, go buy a little bit of Bitcoin on Coinbase and then buy some some other cryptocurrency um, or Bitcoin and put it on a ledger. Um, it gives you a whole different feeling. You, you start looking at banks as... Uh, the way you look at a, a big casino building where you go, 
I have been paying for those guys to build those fancy buildings and live those high lives um, just by just because I keep my money in those banks. And now I can keep my money in on a ledger, you know, just looks like a little um, USB port. Or or I can put it in Coinbase and and suddenly I have a whole different view of what what currency is. And I think you get that view and all of a sudden um your your whole perspective starts to change. And so um yeah, I have uh you know, custody of uh, coins is uh, a lot of people keep them in something like a Coinbase, which is is good and secure, and and they have a vault, which is very secure. Um, and some people keep them off the internet uh, completely in uh, on a ledger, and uh, and that's to make sure it's completely safe. Um, I suspect that there will be new, um, there will be uh, other alternatives for how to hold it. But generally, I think people will be able to just um, have it pretty much on them, and they will be able to, uh, you know, buy coffee from Starbucks and and just uh, take it off their phone or take it off a, a portable wallet. Uh, this is a uh, this is what's going to be happening over the next three or four years, and that's why um, my prediction of a $250,000 per Bitcoin by 2022 is um, is pretty reasonable. In fact, maybe even a little bit conservative. Why 2022? Most big engineering um, feats take about two or three years to to come out and then it takes a little while for for public acceptance and uh, so that's that's what I was calculating um, I predicted uh, 10,000 uh, in three years back in 2014 and it hit 10,000 on the noggin <laughs> um, and it was uh, at the time I predicted it I think uh, Bitcoin was selling for two hundred and thirty dollars, um, and I was uh, I was it was a good prediction then because I felt like um, at that time it was very difficult to figure out how to get a Bitcoin and uh, or where to store it or how to do it, and I figured the engineers would figure that out, and then uh, people would start using it to store value, which is what they did. Well, now I think there's some engineers working on speeding it up, making it more energy efficient, doing um, uh, and, and taking, uh, making it so that it's easy to, uh, to use and spend and, and uh, accumulate. So all of those things uh, added up to where I came out with that prediction. Do you, of all the currencies, do you think Bitcoin is the best chance for store of value? Well, you know that there are only 21 million Bitcoin out there. Yep. And uh-huh. and if that's the case, uh, you know that uh, that 
uh, and you know that it's the leader. So those are the two reasons that I'm, I'm a big proponent of Bitcoin. I do think that there will be other currencies that are significant um, as new technologies evolve. People are working on proof of stake instead of proof of work. Uh, Tezos is promising to get something like that out. Um, people are looking at uh, ways of creating a marketplace. Uh, Bancor is doing something like that. Um, and uh, and there are uh, others. Credo is working on uh, on uh, trans turning email into a marketplace. Um, and Data Wallet is trying to get your data um, so that you control it and that it's secure on the blockchain and nobody can tamper with it. Um, and there are plenty of others that are doing really interesting things on, um, and, and they have big potential futures. Um, so yeah, any number of things can happen out there, but I do have a good sense that uh, Bitcoin will be one of the leading currencies and that, uh, that those currencies will eclipse the, I mean, will eventually eclipse. I mean, that, that might be more like 10 years out. I haven't done real analysis on it, but when, um, when uh, cryptocurrencies eclipse fiat currencies, right now fiat currencies are about $86 trillion around the world. And uh, my guess is that cryptocurrencies will uh, will grow that market because there are a whole bunch of unbanked that will now be banked uh, or at least be a part of the world economy. So I'm thinking that, uh, that the market for all currency will get to be maybe $120, $130 trillion. And, uh, and so... Uh, and Bitcoin and all the other cryptocurrencies put together about a $300 billion market today. So there's a lot of growth left there. What country right now is coming out ahead? Um, I know you've talked about Korea and Japan and China. Um, what country do you think by 2022 will come out ahead uh, based on where you see they're working on today? Oh, clearly Japan will be the winner um, unless other countries figure out that, um, yes, they should make Bitcoin a, a national currency. Um, Japan made Bitcoin a national currency. China shut down their Bitcoin. So, so you look at that and you think, well, where are the entrepreneurs going to go? Um, any entrepreneur that's trying to do any kind of cryptocurrency is definitely going to leave China and go to Japan. In Korea, it was very interesting. They started out acting like China, being sort of paranoid and blocking the ability for anybody to operate with, um, with cryptocurrency. And then they realized that 40% of their population already had Bitcoin wallets. And... Uh, and they got 250,000 letters from various people throughout the countries telling them they're making a big mistake, which they were. 
And all of a sudden, Korea backed off and said, oh, oh, okay, it's going to be okay. And so um, it's interesting. Governments now are starting to realize they're in competition for us. They're in competition for the great minds and the capital and the entrepreneurs of the world and just for citizens, for good tax-paying citizens. And, uh, and they need to... Uh, become more friendly, uh, whereas what they used to be is like controlling. They could control whatever they wanted and and uh, do whatever they wanted, and the people just kind of had to fall in line. Well, now the people can just leave, and so these governments are realizing they have to compete for these people. How do they improve themselves so that the, the people all um, stay or, or other, it attracts other people to come to their country? And, um, and it's interesting because the crypto world is sort of the, the harbing or the, the, uh, the deciding factor as to whether a country is going to be um, a winner or a loser in the new world. And the winners will be the ones with a light touch, like Japan, who says, we accept, uh, you know, we're going to make Bitcoin a national currency, and uh, we have a, a system for ICOs here that's all put together, and, and, uh, and we've lined it up, and, and we know exactly how we're going to handle it. And China is going to be a big loser because they are going to, uh, because they're, their leader is, uh, is even blocking uh, flows of capital from their country. And as soon as somebody blocks flows of capital, um, the country ends up uh, becoming poor. And they are um, they're on their way to real trouble because they, if their growth rate slows and people stop investing in China because they don't get their money out, um, the uh, the debt that they have will be a burden that they can't handle, and their currency is going to fall because they'll have to print currency in order to pay back their debt. And so uh, the Chinese are very uh, actively trying to hold on to Bitcoin or, or real estate in other countries or uh, or moving. Um, so. Uh, so it's going to be, and then the U.S. has been sort of right in the middle. The SEC and CPFC are um, are like a dark cloud over the uh, the whole entrepreneurial community, and uh, and that is not encouraging innovation. And uh, so innovation might actually leave our country if we're not careful. So uh, I think. The countries that are light touch are going to win big, and the countries that are heavy-handed and highly regulatory are going to lose big and become impoverished. Um, and I think it's going to be black and white. I think that the, um, the people are going to be either very wealthy, countries are going to be either very wealthy because they've embraced this, or they're going to be very poor because they didn't. Last question in crypto. What do you think of stable coins? Oh, I don't think they're <laughs> stable at all. Um, <laughs> you know, 
you know, people say, oh, hey, Bitcoin's volatile. Well, it turns out one Bitcoin is always worth one Bitcoin. It's all the other fiat currencies that are, that are volatile as they disappear into the nothingness, as they float away. Um, they, they're going way down in value and, and, as, and Bitcoin is staying as one Bitcoin. And, uh, and the idea of doing a coin that's tied to a fiat currency is basically jumping on the sinking boat. And, I, and I, I think there's no real reason to hold a stable coin because why would you want a coin that's still tied to political whims when you can be tied to a coin that is decentralized, cross-border, global, frictionless? Um, you know, Bitcoin creates wealth. And fiat currencies are uh, are slow moving, and they are not going to be the future. So I think that sort of the stable coin coins are clinging to the past. Yeah, there's a whole uh, group of people believing in that. Um, well, thanks. I don't so, recommend. It. Uh, I'm glad the pod, the listeners are are listening to you. Um, well, what do you think of recent Warren Buffett's claim about uh, crypto and avoiding it like plague. Um, what is the fundamental difference in thinking um, that, ha you know, you have versus Buffett has? Well, there are a lot of people who control a lot of dollars. And those people, I mean, it's not just him, but it's also like the president of J.P. Morgan and um, and, and many other people who control a lot of your dollars. And if they control a lot of your dollars and all of a sudden they see that dollars are not as, not as valuable as they used to be because there's something better than dollars, they are going to resist it. And, uh, and I think that that is what's going on. And that, uh, you know, you're going to see the, you're going to see the, the, the progressives and the Luddites. You're going to see the progressives looking and saying, hey, this is the new world. This is where, this is the millennials economy. This is the economy for the unbanked. This is the economy for the global world. Um, and then you're, then you're going to see the people who say, I like it the way it is. Don't change anything. I am in a very powerful position right here, and I don't want that to change. And uh, and so I think that that is the case. And you'll see that. I mean, everyone speaks to their best interest. And I think uh, <clears throat> for the people who either own or control a lot of your dollars, they are not. Uh, they're not really interested in something that's going to be better than the dollar. So for someone like you that has done so successfully well in investing, do you have any advice on new investors, VCs, and others on a way to systematically and structurally think about investing? Yeah. <laughs> well, I've been um, lucky to be able to look back at a long career that um, 
where I've been able to see where my successes and where my failures were. And um, the successes are really when when I I uh, I did long term thinking. I thought in terms of um, making a short term sacrifice for a long term gain. And I think you know if if nothing else, at least you're um, you're looking out for a, a very positive future and. Um, and optimism can carry you a long way. So, uh, yeah, if you're a new investor, I would uh, recommend thinking uh, long term. Uh, I've never made money where where it felt like it was supposed to be like I put in a dollar today and in a year I'm going to have two dollars. I've only really succeeded when I put in a dollar today thinking that the world may change in favor of this entrepreneur. And if it does, it's going to be really valuable. Um, speaking of the entrepreneur, um, you talk about some famous pitches you like. And, and has the, the pitch and the execution of the company, is there a correlation between that you've found uh, where a good pitch also means a good founder that can execute the company um, well and vice versa? <clears throat> That's not always the case. Some of the, generally the best entrepreneurs did make a very clear case for their, for their success. And they, they showed how by working very hard for a long period of time, something really interesting could potentially happen. That was, um, that was true uh, in the case of, um, you know, Tesla and uh, Skype and Baidu and um, and I think uh, I think that's a, a big part of it is uh, is really being able to to pitch so that the person that you're pitching to can catch it. Um, when, whenever something only kind of made sense, uh, that usually didn't, uh, either we didn't fund it or if we funded it, we usually lost our money. Is there a second, so let's say you funding the, the founder, have you seen a few other hiccups that are, that have a pattern down the, down the road after you invest in them that founders should avoid? Yeah, there are probably some patterns they should avoid, but but success doesn't really have a pattern. Um, the entrepreneurs that were enormously successful, uh, they're from all different walks of life. They're from, uh, they have whole different approaches. Some are very outgoing, some are very introverted, some are very um, <clears throat> aggressive, some are very passive. Um, they all have, uh, but they just have a vision that uh, people could get behind, and they had a, a real sense of the customer. Uh, the thing, and, and a love for the customer. The thing that people often run into is um, where, they, where they don't succeed is, <laughs> ironically, when they, uh, they raise too much money too soon because if you've got a whole bunch of money and you 
you haven't built your product, you haven't put it in front of a customer, and uh, and by the time you do, you already have a huge overhead and a burn rate. And uh, so I'd say watch your cash until you have a really good uh, customer product fit, and then then you can start um, putting some money into marketing. But but uh, during the experimental phase, uh, I think it's really important not to spend much money. So that's a big one. Um, the other is uh, have faith in your team, be willing to uh, delegate a lot of the responsibilities. Uh, I think where teams get caught up or where, where founders blow up are usually when they, um, they're all second guessing each other. Um, and then, uh, you know, enthusiasm takes you a long way. Drive, drive of a vision. Speaking of enthusiasm, I mean, I want to ask you, do you have a practice to keep your energy and enthusiasm up? I mean, I've never seen you anything other than highly excited, highly passionate about something you really believe in. You know, it just comes to me because I'm I'm so into it. In fact, this this new world with a, with Bitcoin and the blockchain and uh, and smart contracts and artificial intelligence, the fact that it could potentially change governance um, has has lit yet another fire under me. Uh, I I just know that something's wrong when when governments start getting overbearing, which they are throughout the world, they're overbearing. Um, and they're the only industry where people get bad service at a high cost. All the other industries of the world have, well, maybe medicine or cable providers. Whenever they have a, a monopoly, they provide bad service at a high cost. When it's a good competitive field, uh, then, all the businesses are accountable to their customers. In this case, the customers are the citizens of the country. And if the customers aren't satisfied, they're going to be able to walk with their feet, they'll, they'll leave. And, uh, and I, I, that's one thing. I mean, I was totally excited by the Internet because of all the industries that was going to change. And now I'm, I'm actually more excited by this. And I think... Keeping myself uh, motivated is really just, it's stuff I feel I am compelled to do. I, I have to do it. I have to drive society in this new direction. It's going to be so good for society. I want governments to have to look at their citizens and, and be accountable to them or else lose them, uh, just as, as any supplier of any product or service uh, has to provide a good product or service or else they lose their customers. And, uh, and imagine uh, how inexpensive and high quality our government would be if they knew that they, that they might lose you if they don't perform. Um, and that's also a reason that I'm um, pushing for three Californias. Uh, I feel like a fresh start will 
allow Californians to really benefit because they don't have all the baggage that um, that California has imposed, um, and and actually California has uh, become corrupt. But but now with uh, with three Californias, we might have a shot at leading the world in a new form of government. Um, those three states can start fresh with with the knowledge uh, of the current day as opposed to uh, living in the past and, and not changing because they don't have to. So this is, I mean, you can see, I get excited because, hey, these are <laughs> really important things. And I do a lot of traveling. I, I meet lots of people um, from all over the world. I've met the prime ministers of 20 or 30 different countries. And I get a sense that they are all trying to uh, compete for the great entrepreneurs and the capital and the citizens of the world. And, uh, and we now have a vehicle that will help them do that. Uh, because, you know, you put Bitcoin and the blockchain and smart contracts and artificial intelligence together, you, you actually have a perfect bureaucrat that's honest and straightforward and incorruptible. So with the three California proposal that you're advocating for, what is the two biggest things you're solving for? Do you think that the problems like homelessness in San Francisco are something you're trying to tackle with this kind of proposal? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's cal3.com. Go to cal3.com. We, you will see um, employment go up almost, almost instantaneously. You know, Elon Musk did not want to move the Tesla factory out of California, but the but California just made it untenable to do business here. Amazon looked at California briefly, but but didn't even take it seriously as a place to move their move their facility. Uh, Occidental Petroleum moved their headquarters to Texas. Uh, Toyota, Sony, they've all moved out because this is a horrible place to do business. The homeless, people don't make this connection. The homeless happen because you don't have employment. I mean, you've got to create jobs for people. And so three Californias with a fresh start will, will, uh, will do a lot of things. One is um, uh, make it so that those three states will now compete for those jobs and, and each of them will benefit in a great way. I would guess that what is now, what is in the future going to be Southern California, um, which is uh, really covers Central California. Central California would have fought tooth and nail to get that Tesla plant. And, uh, and then the, uh, the, uh, the other things that have happened in California because it's become a corrupt state are that we're getting bad water. Um, you know, we have, we have bad service and it's because they've put zero into infrastructure spending. They've, they've, uh, it, what we used to spend 28% of our budget on infrastructure. And now we spend 3% of the budget on infrastructure. So every time you think, every time you roll over a pothole or we have some problem like Oroville where the, where the dam's about to break and everybody's going to have to evacuate their house, 
think three Californias is going to really help this because people will put the money into the infrastructure and the future of the state. Our education has gone from, we used to be the best in the whole country in California. We used to be number one, and that's probably why our economy has been strong in the Silicon Valley and Hollywood. And and uh, now we are 47th in math and 48th in English. I mean, the state has basically destroyed the education of, of our state. And, and so our, our government has, in effect, just operated like the monopoly that it is. Nobody wants to leave here because it's got beautiful weather and it's the ocean and the mountains and all that. But we are basically stuck with a government that is corrupt. And, uh, and now is the time uh, we're putting this Cal 3 on the ballot and, uh, and we need more and more spokespeople for it. We need other people to come out and go, hey, you know, it's a good idea. Maybe we should do it. Um, Looks like because it's it's the beginning of what could be. I mean, California has led the world in a lot of different ways. Uh, this could be how California leads the world in uh, improving governance. Do you think you'll switch onto the on a, the government side and and run for uh, a position in the government? No, no, no. Uh, no, <laughs> no. I would just want to make sure that this happened and then uh, allow. Uh, you know, good candidates to compete for those jobs. And you, I, my guess is that you get really, really good people running for um, running for office because they'd be able to help mold the future of California, of the three Californias. Uh, so you'd end up with that, and I think you'd have much more efficient, much more effective governments. Or Wonderful. people would leave. They go. They go. Yeah. Different California. Did they go to New Zealand? <laughs> well, a lot of them have, but no. But in this case, you'd have a, you'd have a choice. You could go um, if if uh, like what is called what is they're they're called Northern California, Southern California, and California. Um, if somebody in Northern California uh, is not getting a good education. Uh, they can move to California or Southern California to get a better education. If somebody in so Southern California um, decides that they just can't tolerate the tax level, they might move to Northern California or California to uh, improve their situation. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, and most people won't move. That's true. But a few will, and, and those few will, will make an impact on the quality of government. Well, some rapid-fire questions for you here. Um, what's the one advice you got from your dad, Bill Draper, who's another legend in the industry growing up? He said that it doesn't matter um, who's buying and who's selling. It's the, the personal connection that matters the most. And I think that was really good advice. Um, it, it made it so I was always willing to make the phone call. Huh. What's the one advice you give your kids? Well, I passed that one on. Um, most <laughs> of my advice, most of my best advice can be found in my book, uh, How to Be the Startup Hero. And I wrote that um, partially in hopes that my kids would read it. 
and um, <laughs> partially because I started Draper University of Heroes for um, the reason that I wanted people to be more willing to go try things, you know, step out there, fail a little bit, um, see how it goes. And uh, and they uh, and they did, and they've been incredibly successful. Um, it's amazing how successful the students from Draper University have become. On average, you know, at Stanford or Harvard, they're really happy if 85% of their graduates get a job. At Draper University, our average graduate creates three jobs. Mm. So, so it's a whole different way of looking at your life. Uh, go create your own job and create jobs for other people. That That is a much more attractive and exciting world to live in. Um, and so we created this school, and it's been incredibly successful. But uh, I, I, I uh, spoke there uh, for many, you know, for five years and probably 18 different classes, and those 18 classes, I started to realize I was saying a lot of the same things. And so I thought, well, I might as well put this into a book. Yeah, the so that's where I, your my biggest advice to you and to all of your listeners is read how to be a start, how to be the startup hero by Tim Draper. It's on the queue. Um, I'm excited to read that over the weekend. Uh, I, I, I think um, the, the heroes and the kids are very lucky. Last question. Um, Quick question. What's the craziest thing you want people to believe about you? Oh, uh, you know, I thought <laughs> there was something that was fun. I, you know, when I did the first thing that was a little bit out of the box, I, um, I, people looked at me and said, Ooh, wow, that's a little odd. And then I did the second thing that was a little out of the box and they said, wow, boy, he's really off his rocker. And then I did the third thing that was out of the box, <laughs> and they looked at me and they said, "Oh, that's just him." So, so it 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 freed me. It freed me from from having to think like everybody else. It freed me to uh, to start uh, living my life doing what I believed in and what I believed was the right thing for the future, and uh, whether whether the people around me thought it was the right thing or not, it, it has allowed me a real freedom to uh, to go ahead and stick my neck out and, and make it um, make it so that I can speak out for uh, for the the opportunities for the future that uh, that may not be you know people's current thinking. Well, so that's why. Tim, this has been, that's what I do. This has that's been the way I look at yeah. crazy. Yeah, I mean, crazy, you just look on, look on YouTube. I've got plenty of times I'm singing and dancing and whatever else. Um, I wrote I wrote The Risk Master. It's a fun song that I sing at some conferences. And I, I recently wrote The Bitcoin Hustle uh, with, with Kelly James, who's a great musician. And uh, we performed it at our big block party here. It was great fun. Um, um, you're welcome it the to sing it right now. Party. What's that? You're welcome to sing it right now. Oh God, I don't even know it. It was. <laughs> I, I need. I need a lot more practice. That was, you know, they 
if I knew it, if I, let's see, it, it's like, do the Bitcoin hustle, do the Bitcoin hustle. No, no, <laughs> something about, something about show your crypto muscle. <laughs> 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 On that note, thank you, Tim. I really appreciate this. is amazing. And I'm sure the listeners are going to love every second of this podcast. Terrific. Send me a link and I'll, I'll blast it out. I will do that. 